Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. What a great story. Isn't that a great story? It's, it's not too different from your story. You know, we all have a story. And I love the, the, the part of him wrestling with that. You know, what do I do with Jesus? And it's, it's hunger. It's spiritual hunger. We all have it. And I'll talk about that a little bit today. But we're, we're searching. We want meaning. We want love. And, and, you know, we're searching. And so that was Richard's story. And I do remember it was back at Ralph's. And uh, we met after the service. And uh, he told me his journey for the last six weeks coming. And, and I, did, I said, well, let's pray now. Let's, you know, <laughs> right here. You know, he says, no, I want to do that on my own. <laughs> um, but that's kind of my style if you're here. Because I'm, I'm the kind of guy that if I came to this church, I would be back in the far corner uh, where it's maybe darkest. And I, I want to get to the door quick if the pastor gets weird. And, you know, get the, get the heck out of here, you know. I, I, so I want to suss it out. And, you know, some people are just front row. Hey, I'm in, you know, whatever this thing is, I'm in, you know. But that's not me. I want to feel my way along. And uh, so if that's you today, um, you know, keep feeling. Don't, don't stop searching. Um, but every now and then, I'll throw out the net as a fisherman and say, would you like to accept Christ? And maybe that's today, that you would give your heart and life to Christ and decide that there's meaning beyond the temporary meanings that we've given to life. So uh, Richard has just been just a dear friend, and I've walked with him through the persecution. Um, you know, it's hard to call that uh, persecution in the Western world, but, you know, when I went through it, my friends mocked me, uh, my friends belittled me because I would actually believe in something so silly as God and uh, Jesus. So we, we go through that pushback um, that where people think that they're smarter, or wiser, or we're stupid, that, that kind of thing. But you know, when you're smitten, when you're in love, it really doesn't matter. So it's been beautiful seeing Richard just grow and thrive. And... Um, Segwaying from there, uh, you know, Richard's been part of uh, a small group. Um, and I encourage you to find that for your life, to grow together. It's one of the most meaningful things in my Christian experience is to grow together with other believers. And, you know, we can get really good worship here and okay teaching. <laughs> um, but it's really hard to call this fellowship, you know, and so I encourage you, whether it's once a week, once a month, men's group, women's group, uh, home group, uh, whatever your style happens to be, Americans do not like to be cornered and told what to do. I know that. So you do it your own way, but uh, don't do it Han Solo's way, because then you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable uh, to 
falling away, to uh, temptations that come your way, and you don't have the support when uh, hard times come. Well, this morning, uh, I want to explore a big issue with you that I think has been a big issue for me my whole life. Um, And the question is, who are you? I mean, really, who are you? It's, It's a question worth asking. We started a series, and it's a short series. It's just a, a few weeks um, just to take us up to Super Bowl weekend, and then we'll, uh, I'm going to launch into a book study with you together. But we've got just a window of time, and I've seen this in my short life, that when we come to January, we're kind of wide open to thinking, wow, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What could it be different? And... And by the time February hits, we're just the same old me again, you know. Uh, But some of us actually change. Some of us actually make some significant decisions. There's a littler window in the beginning of September where we do the same thing. But the rest of the time, we're just on remote control. And so in this short series of thinking things through, we've, we've talked about what are the new beginnings. Don't put your hope just in something close in front of you, put it out as far as you can, like an anchor, uh, so you secure your hope in the new beginnings because it's absolutely fact that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the absolute certainty that something you can't see yet is gonna happen. That's biblical hope. And there's a whole new beginning that's coming, which will include your new beginning. And then Mark Freestad last week, wonderfully, oh my gosh, what an amazing message, uh, talked about what that is for you to be the new you, being renewed. But I want to take us the other direction because oftentimes those of you that were following the boating analogy, if you toss an anchor off the, the bow, that's good except you're just going to rotate around that anchor until you toss an anchor off the stern. And now you're secure. And I want to take you all the way back to the old beginning to find out who you are. Are you okay with that? So this thing that we have in our modern society called identity theft... I want you to know this has been going on for a lot longer than the digital world and a lot longer than the dawning of the internet. Your identity has been being stolen for a long, long time. In fact, humans' identity has been being stolen for thousands of years. So everyone today has this idea of branding. If you're not aware of it, then you're not a part of uh, the, the corporate um, advertising world. Everybody's, in, it's, it's the cool world, word. The other cool word is narrative. What's your narrative? What's your story? So the branding is the idea that everybody's got a brand. Everybody's got n- not so much a logo, but what do you like to do? If I were to know you, what would that be like? And so it comes out something like this. Well, if you really knew me, you'd know that I really love 
to go up to Alaska. You'd really know that I love the ocean. You'd really know that I love skinny jeans. If you really know me, that you'd really know that I, I love to read books. Or if you really know me, and, and that's kind of how we think of branding. And then people go sometimes a little bit deeper and say, no, if you really know me, uh, you would know that I care about honesty and loyalty more than anything in a relationship. And they look deep in your eyes and you going to be honest and loyal with me? Uh, that's my brand. And so we, we have this going on in our culture right now. But oftentimes the brands become rather veneer, rather trite when we think of who we could be in our brand. So here's the question. Is this you? Are you Mr. Social? Is that your brand? Or are you super efficient? Everybody know, oh my gosh. With, with her, the volleyball never hits the sand. They're just always efficient doing everything. Or is this you, Mr. Accomplished? <laughs> yeah, I've done it all. I'm the guy. Or is this you? Miss Fashion. Or is this you? You see, we've all learned different things to trade in. And here's the word for this morning. To make us significant. We have this hole in our heart that wants to be significant. It somehow has to do with meaning. What's the meaning of life? What's it all about, Alfie? But it's also connected to love. You know, what would make people love me and want to be with me? And then some of us get stuck in our little journey because we had something called parents. And they were really weird. <laughs> and, and we just can't get over what they did to us. And, and we live this with this narrative that I could have been amazing if it wasn't for my parents. And, and so finally we go to therapy. And depending on your brand of therapy, short term or long term, or even not to make fun, but even we as Christians, we can get stuck on inner healing. Pray for me again. I had another image of my mom invading my life. And, you know, and, and so we're like a dog chasing the tail, living with the lie that I could be amazing if it wasn't, and significant, if it wasn't for what they did or didn't do to me. But the question really is, who are you? What is your identity? And the identity is a big, big issue. We as a culture, we're, we're caught in sub-identities. We have sexual orientation. I ask you, is that truly your identity? We have political affiliation. I ask you, is that truly your identity? And it goes on and on and on where we pick something 
And we land there and we stop growing. The fire in paradise, I think, levels the ground for that community where suddenly all branding is out. (laughs) When it all burns away, who are you? And oftentimes, we begin to discover something that's deeper and more profound. Well, the Bible has answers, and we're going to go to the very earliest verses and tie your soul to those verses. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us this morning as we study your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis 1-1, and then Genesis 1, 26 through 28, you and I find our place and significance in the universe. So verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So here, what happens here is God locates your identity in time, in position, that is, ruling uh, in significance, in relationship to him, and in your calling. And that's key for your thriving. God wants you to thrive in 2019. But the question is, what does that mean? We prescribe on ourselves what we think is thriving. And it's usually something to do with our body. I'm going to look amazing. I'm going to I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to somehow become this this person and that's usually interpreted as thriving. This is what God is saying for you to thrive, to find yourself in him. We know what an eagle is when eagles are thriving. If you haven't been up to the northwest to see uh, bald eagles everywhere, it's amazing that once endangered and now uh, thriving. We know what it is for a dolphin to thrive. But the question is, what is it for a human to thrive? We are so filled with freedom and self-freedom that we actually don't know what it is for a human to thrive. So here it's saying that God is the origin of your thriving. God is the origin of everything. Now, most of us, when we think of God, before we become believers, we think of God as kind of this senile grandfather that's just, maybe he is there, maybe he isn't there, and if he is there, he just kind of 
kind of forgotten about us and just the world and the universe going on. And he must be really, really old. I don't know if he even remembers what he did back then. But the Bible doesn't depict God that way, that God is actually ageless. But there was a moment that he created time. Don't know if you've ever thought about that before. The time is a linear thing that's clicking, ticking like a clock and has a beginning and has an end. But before time, what was there? And the Bible says, there was God. Now, bear with me, because that's important for you to know that you would tether and anchor your soul to the God who was always there before time. Philosophers call him the unmoved mover or the prime mover. I love that because when you think of movement, you think of a cause and effect, that if that thing is moving, something caused it to move. And you look behind that and you find the thing that caused that to move, but there's something that caused that to move and there's something that caused that to move. And you keep going backwards until you get to the unmoved mover. Children ask a good question. Almost every child asks this question. Where did I come from? And that's usually if the parents aren't trained. They, they panic because they figure it's a birds and bees question. And, you know, how do you explain that to a two or three year old? And, and then you, you realize, okay, well, they're just asking uh, which town or which hospital. <laughs> so you ask that question, answer that question. And then they ask where later on, where did all these things come from? Where did you come from, mommy? Where did. Where did the dog come from? Where did... And eventually, if there's a believer in the family, they say, well, God made everything. And then finally, the question is asked, where did God come from, right? I remember my son's asking that. It's like, whoa, that's a deep, deep question. Where did God come from? Because there's always a mover to create the movement. And who moved God? And the answer is, no one made God. God was always God. Now, if your identity is tied to the unmoved mover, oh my gosh, how does that affect your life with the ups and downs in the earthquakes of the economics, the earthquakes of politics, the earthquakes of medical problems and different issues? How does that affect you once you arrive with your soul tethered to the unmoved mover? So he was before and outside of time. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. And this was radical to ever pen these words because there is no other scripture on the planet that has these five words. In the beginning, God created. 
because all the other ancient literature, whether you read the ancient literature of the Middle East at that time, for example, the Enumelish describes a creation that always was. And many scientists believe the same thing, that there was matter. It just always was. Just kind of like the seasons cycling around. And the gods are somehow a part of the planet and the gods, and there's multiple gods because you need multiple gods to explain the multiple things that are going on. You need the, the ocean god, and you need the earth god, and you need the trees and vegetation god, and you have all these gods, and, and they're warring, and they're having a, a sexual relations, and creating, and all of these things, very, very much like humans. But the Bible has this unique approach that is singularly monotheistic, and there was no other monotheism at the time. Now it seems plain to us that there would be one God. But you can imagine, no other people group believed that there was singularly an unmoved mover. Extraordinary, profound. Even scientists today have not stopped wrestling. Now that Science has explained to us that the universe came from the Big Bang. And I don't, I'm not here to wrestle over that one. I wasn't there. And, uh, and it would seem, based on all the scientific evidence, that all the planets, particles going out into the universe seem to have all come, all these billions of galaxies because of their direction that is, that is measurable, seems to have all come from one place. So the only scientific explanation is that there was this compressed matter that was so compressed, so dense, so heavy beyond anything that's measurable, and in that, it finally erupted. And all of the universe came out of that. Now you can feel the tension in the room right now because we want to ask the question that the child asks. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> you see, we've solved something, but we really haven't. We, have, we want to know. And the Bible says, in the beginning... God, And because he was in the beginning, before time, before creation, he is transcendent. Now, why is that important to you, to have your soul tethered to a transcendent God? Because if God is only with you spiritually in this moment, in the here and now, then it kind of feels like God's on the same roller coaster you're on. Who do you cry out to that's outside of you? And the Bible tells us that God is both came into our world through Jesus Christ, Jesus ascended, the Spirit comes into our world and now lives with us and rides the roller coaster with us, but God is transcendent. He's outside of the roller coaster. Now, that may not give you comfort, but that sure gives me comfort. Oh, my gosh. 
You know, uh, we were on a ride in Disneyland, the roller coaster in uh, uh, California Adventure, when it, it got stuck. You know, it really meant a lot to me that there was someone outside the ride running this thing that, that could fix this thing and not just, hey, buddy, I'm with you. I don't know when we're going to get off, little buddy, but I'm in the car with you. Uh, I need a God who is transcendent beyond all things. And he's the creator. I believe that even though God rested on the seventh day in what we now know to be creation, the creative God isn't done working in your life and in my life. And because in the beginning God who's this creative God, he's, he's this genius, he's this brilliant scientist, artist, who is still working in your life. So, before we move on, we just ask ourselves, as we look at the crime scene of the universe, whether it's macro, out into the galaxies, and by the way, you know the... Uh, the space traveling vehicle, New Horizons, it's not an insurance company, it's, it's actually a space vehicle that's been traveling from Earth and uh, recently passed Pluto, and now it's going outside of our solar system. Uh, and I think it's probably five billion miles from here now, and it's, it's on its way. If you ask the question, so where is God in this? Go out as far as you can, and God is beyond all of that. Now, if you just stop right there, and I think that gives me huge comfort for 2019, because I know what I control, I can control, I know what I can't control, and there's a lot in this world that I can't control. But I know who holds my future, this great, great, big God. So when I share things like this, um, and, and I have tons of unbelieving friends, and that's where I thrive. Um, you know, I, I love to be with people. In fact, the, the, the staff knows that, you know, even though I don't do any counseling any, anymore, I tell them, uh, the communists are mine, the Muslims are mine, uh, the person that's struggling and has read all the books and is struggling, whether because of science or philosophy, and wants to talk with someone about God, they're mine. And the outrageous, hedonistic, uh, gluttonous American is mine. <laughs> you know, these people that are just, they want to say yes to God, but they have this huge ideological, this huge idea. There you go. There's <laughs> a bit of irony there. <laughs> that they can't get over. I want to help you get over that. But oftentimes they'll say to me, you know, I just think it's pretty sketchy to put my identity in a religion. You know, I've seen all this stuff in religion where there's, there's wars 
and there's, there's church splits, and there's priests that do this, and there's this, and this, and, and, you know, and, and you're telling me to tether my soul to religion? And it sounds so wise at first. No, can't do that. That's a bit sketchy. Where are you going to tie your soul to? And you begin to watch their life. And my response to that is that sketchy. That's absolutely sketchy. So some of the contrary inadequate definitions um, that people come up with as they think about uh, their own identity. We do the same that the ancients did and that we carve our own little idols, our own little images. So what the ancients did when they decided to rebel against God was they used the same word that we'll study this morning, image, in our likeness, those two words. They began to carve and, and sculpt gods out of the tree. Then they carry the, carry the god to their house, set the god on their mantle, and bow down and worship it. And that somehow is not sketchy. <laughs> Isaiah and Jeremiah mocked the living daylights out of that. How can you take something that you made with your own hands and bow down and worship it? Crazy. But we tether our souls to that, and we call it branding. People mock me because I drive a Prius. Seriously. You know, they say, Mark, don't, is, is that really your image? I have always pictured you as rumbling along in a four-wheel drive with a, a longboard out the back of your, your pickup, you know, and it's just, and, and, and I see you go by with your, your longboard stuffed into your Prius. It's just, it's, it's not how I picture I said, yeah, but it's amazing. It fits. And, and. We settle for the smallest little images. And I know we all have our preferences. You like blue, I like red. You like jazz, I like rock. We, with, and, and that's fine. That's just your uniquenesses. But that's not who you are. And I am not a Prius. <laughs> so we have these little things that we tie our souls to thinking that's not sketchy. I'm going to tie my soul to my beauty. Have you visited an assisted living place recently? It's temporal. I'm going to tie my, my soul to my money. 100% chance you're going to die. Someone else is going to spend your money. I'm going to try my soul to my brains, and I'm going to outsmart everybody. I'm going to be Steve Jobs and Bill Gates all in one. Steve is gone. So how is that not sketchy? I'm going to tie my soul to my position in, in the community, my position in the, the corporate world. I'm going to tie my soul to my possessions and my location and my house. 
These are sketchy options. And Paul Tillich, the, the famous philosopher, theologian of the last century, he called us on it. And he says, because we think we've outsmarted the ancients and we don't have any gods, he says, yea, verily, we do. Your ultimate concern usually is your God. David Dark, more recently in our generation, he says, there is no, no religion. Everything is religion because everything is beat, built on belief systems. And we operate with these hidden belief systems that we've tied our meaning and our identity to without accountability of can those things hold you when you go through the paradise fire. When I went into the seventh grade, I had my identity rocked. And I don't think that kids in grade school really think much about identity. They're just kind of blundering through life. And uh, would to God that we could just stay there. Wouldn't that be amazing? And maybe we are. <laughs> We're just still blundering through life. But when I stepped on the campus of Willard Junior High School in Santa Ana, I remember the first day. I'm walking. It was in indoor campus with hallways and lockers on the side, but I'm walking on the outside corridor behind a guy who's about six feet in front of me, and I see this rather tough-looking dude about our size walking the other way, and he looks at the guy in front of me and says, what are you looking at? And the guy says, I, I just wasn't, and, and he completely clocks him in the face. And I thought to myself, welcome to junior high. Do not make eye contact. I did everything. I noticed the guys were wearing black vans. I had to, and nobody had my size in Santa Ana. And I just pet, uh, pestered my mom looking. I've got, they, they, no, they got to be black. And we, we drove all over, and they, it had to be Levi's, and it had to be a white T-shirt. No, it couldn't be anything else. And, you know, and it, it had to be this, this, because I wanted my identity to be cool on campus so that I could survive. And guess what, friends? It hasn't changed. <laughs> You're just in a bigger junior high. And we have laws about bullying, and we have laws about this and that, but there's still a pecking order, and we're all aware of it. And we just want to be accepted. We want to be cool. We want our brand to be liked. So now we come to the verses that are just astounding. Verses 26 through 28. Then God said, and here... The tone and the grammar changes in the Hebrew to let us know that something dramatic is about to happen. If you've read chapter one, you know that it's uh, first day, morning and evening. Uh, God says that it was good, and, and, and then we go into the next day and the next day, and there's some anomalies that I talk about uh, when I preached on the entire chapter two years ago. You can go back and get that for you science buffs that want to somehow integrate science and scripture. But oftentimes we miss the most important thing 
of Genesis 1, which is God on day six comes to the apex, the pinnacle of creation. Drum roll, please. Then God said, in the language changes, let us. You thumb through the pages. Who is us? In the beginning, God. Who is us? Who is he talking to? And, and we smugly as Christians will say, well, it's a trinity. It's obvious, you know. Well, if you only had Genesis 1, it's not obvious. It's only obvious from the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we're stuck with the fact that God is so complex that he speaks in the plural of majesty. Actually, queens and kings speak this way sometimes because they're, they're so superior to us. They can't say, let me, or I think I'll. They say, we decree. And God speaks in the plural of majesty, let us. But you and I know it's like this holy huddle that's happening It doesn't just simply say, then God said, let there be, and there was. Let us. And he says, let us do this wonderful thing. Let us make mankind, Adam. It's it's not speaking male or female there. It's humankind. Let us make mankind in our image. What? In tarnation, there is nothing like this on the planet, you guys, where God creates a creature that is in the image that looks like God. And he uses two synonyms to make sure that you understand this is very unusual. Image and likeness. And likeness even seems more profound. Image sounds like a carved thing. Likeness, we're thinking more of a mirror. And then he says, and they'll have the responsibility of ruling and names all the different parts of creation. So he's essentially creating king man and queen woman. And they will be deputized to be the representatives of God on earth for all of the planet. Whoa. Now, whatever, I'm, whatever you think about climate change, our response as Christians, because of Genesis 1, through 28, is to care for this planet. Not because it's warming or cooling, but because God gave us the responsibility of ruling and being his representative over all of creation. You with me there? So the question has to be asked, what is God thinking when he does this? I couldn't help but throw in a... a, um, Well, let's go back and read verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. And then it's almost like Moses or whoever the writer was said he can't quite fathom what he just penned. So he says, in the image of God, he created them. Unless we think that it's one gender or another. He says, male and female. The King James says, 
created he them. And God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, increase number, fill the earth, and rule over all the different parts of creation. So if you ever get a chance to go to Western Massachusetts, there's a town there that Norman Rockwell grew up in. And I couldn't help but show you this painting by him uh, to give you the idea of God creating you. <laughs> so we have, we have stories of many, many artists do that do these self-portraits. But here's Norman Rockwell looking in a mirror. You can see the reflection on his glasses as he looks at himself and then paints himself without the glasses. Now, have you ever thought of that being you, the image of God? That you're the painting of God. That when people see you, they're seeing some parts of God. Now, granted, rarely do you walk down the streets of Carlsbad and stop your spouse and say, whoa, check it out. Doesn't he look like God? <laughs> but that's, that's the idea, that creation and fellow humans, we would see what God is like. So what does that mean for you to be made in the image of God? Well, I think there's four things that theologians have camped on over the last 2,000 years, and I think they're all true, and I bring them to light so that you would just understand the thickness of that term, that number one, it has to do with your unique, rational, intellectual, I would include slash creative genius. You are uniquely different than all of creation. If you look at Genesis 1, you realize, whoa, this is a creative genius. And by the way, all of creativity demands a lot of intellectual prowess. You have to be able to imagine in your mind what isn't. That's intellectual uh, demand. Then you have to be able to command your hand to do and create what you're imagining in your mind. Then you have to make choices. I'll do this, I won't do this, I'll do this. And, and the, the choices are thousands for one little portrait. No, the line's not gonna go there. No, the color's not gonna, and all of these different choices. Songwriters know the same thing. And then in the end, you have to decide how you're gonna present it to other people. Well, you have that ability. That's the rational intellectual, creative side of you. But secondly, and by the way, the Mid Middle East, Middle, uh, Middle Age theologians camped on this. The reformers camped on the relational aspect to you, that, of you, that that is that you have a relationship with God. That's how you were created. That, that the canvas... And the mirror and the artist are all close. And it's in that relationship that we fulfill our function. We have this ongoing relationship with God. Thirdly, there's a vocational role. And that is you are to rule over creation. 
That is, that you are royalty, and now you, as the ambassador of heaven. Try that one out in the elevator. (laughs) Or on the airplane. Who are you? The ambassador of heaven. How about yourself? They won't bother you the rest of the flight. (laughs) And then fourthly, this spiritual uniqueness, that that we are spiritual beings, and that's the sad thing. Spiritual beings are three-dimensional. Yes, there's this rational side. Yes, there's this physical side, but there's this spiritual side, and spiritual not in the sense that we use it today of just kind of being... uh, artsy and fluffy, you know, and and creative and and open to whatever, but spiritual in the sense of a relationship with the ultimate spirit, who is God. So these four things define us and create in our minds a person who is the character of God on earth. Let me say that again. I should write that down. (laughs) You are designed to be the character of God on earth, and that's called human thriving. And that's not to put guilt on you or me. It's to say that's how significant you are. Yes, you're an artist, but that's not the only thing. Yes, you love football. Don't even think about it right now. (laughs) You're more than that. Yes, you love shopping. You're more than that. And you keep going back, and finally you say, I'm significant because God, the unmoved mover, called me his image, the character of God on earth. That takes me past my parents, (laughs) what they shoulda, coulda. And it takes me past my 23andMe DNA. It takes me past my, my lineage, ancestry. It takes me to this ultimate thing that gets me through the ups and downs of 2019. Well, you know the rest of the story, and some of you might say it to me better than I could. Yeah, but Mark, the sin, the fall, and, and out of the fall came shame, and all the, out of the fall came insecurity and sin and, and loss of love and a search for significance. And I would say, absolutely, you are so right. That's where the search of significance was birthed. Before that, you already knew. And so we search for significance. Who am I? Who am I? And I'm telling you who you are today. And no matter how much you know your significance, it is always more than what you think. Think about that. Your significance is more always than what you can think or imagine. So what happened? Well, Jesus came. The Bible says Jesus came, and he not only came as a little baby and not only died for your sins, but the Bible says he came 
in the full image of God. So we wondered what the unmoved, invisible spirit looks like, and we found what he looks like in Jesus. And then he went and died for your sins and my sins, rose again from the dead, and now he says, tag, you're it. I'm transforming you back into the image of God. So, and that's part of the new beginning where you and I, finally, we will be king, man, queen, woman, planet Earth, representing God. New heaven, new earth, it will all be fulfilled. And don't you tell me that the unmoved mover is not going to have his way. He will. What he intended is absolutely going to happen, and that includes you, full of significance in the dignity and image of God. And God is doing it now. So the new beginning has already started in you. And it grows in 2019. Folks, I really don't know. I I watch the news just like you do. And I just think, ah, I won't watch it. Then I will, and then I won't. And I bite my nails, and it's just like, whoa. You will not find your significance there. Will not. Welcome to the roller coaster. But there is a God bigger than all of that, and he has given you significance that's bigger than your brand. So enjoy your toys, enjoy your brand, uh, and all those things. They're not bad, they're just, they're fun. But I encourage all of us to make the core of our branding the character of God. I want you to watch this video that struck me this last week. You'll recognize the person. Um, I just, that's just kind of always been my personality. Um, and then just growing up, my family's always like, I mean, football's, football's important to me, obviously, but it's just, it's not my life. It's not, uh, it's not like the biggest thing in my life, I would say. Uh, well, my faith is. So that just comes from kind of knowing, um, knowing who I am outside of that. So I just know, no matter how big the situation is, it's not really going to define me. Just, just putting my identity in, you know, what, what Christ says, what, who th- he thinks I am and who I know that he says I am. So really, like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people think about me or how good they think I play or whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. So that's definitely been a big thing for me, just uh, in my situation, just knowing that and having confidence in that. Thanks. In my situation, having confidence in that. Now, some of you are Bama fans, and I apologize. (laughs) Because there's wonderful Christians on the Bama team as well. And, uh, but this is a unique story, because here's a freshman in college uh, that wasn't nominated for the Heisman, but obviously will have a great NFL career once he gets there, and if he can stay in Clemson um, long enough and not go pick up his 10 million for one year. But he's already pre-decided before the game. He pre-decided and from the influence of his parents, thank God for parents, that my image is in, in Christ. And he's already predefined me. So as you go into 2019, you're going into the big game. But pre-decide what your significance is, what you are defined as, what your identity is. 
You are the image of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and for the the truth of your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take these words from theory to experiential reality and plant them deep in our hearts, not just our minds. Lord, that we would lift our heads up and put our shoulders back and tuck back our chin and and live with the dignity, not the pride, but the dignity of being your son and daughter, that you've made us royalty and your blood is in us. God, give us courage to shake off the sin that so easily entangles us, the things that defile us and shame us. Give us courage to shake off the things and the lies that people have said about us or that we've said ourselves. Give us courage to singularly uh, trust in you and what you have defined us as. Lord, today we believe that that is our identity through Jesus Christ. And this morning, while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, God may be speaking to you like he did Richard in the video about coming to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed to surrender your heart and life to this great God who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you, to remake you back into the image. If that's you this morning, while the rest are praying, while our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand up where you are? And it's a way of you just taking that step of faith and saying, I'm going to believe not what all these floating debris around me are are naming me as, but I'm going to believe God and let him define who I am. Just raise your hand where you are, and I'll pray for you. Yes, God bless you. Who else? You could lift it up high so I can be sure. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. Love the boldness, and God bless you. Who else? Yes, God bless you. Thank you. So awesome. So awesome. Happy New Year. If you've raised your hand this morning, would you pray with me quietly as I pray out loud? This is a big deal. Lord, come into my life. This is my new beginning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and plant your image upon me. For I believe you are my identity and you have given me mine. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and make me new. For from this day forward, I am the image of God. Bring your character into me, I pray, that other people might also know your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and welcome those that gave their hearts to Christ. Thanks for listening this week. 
If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.